we're going to go ahead and uh, continue our our series on the culture of Living Hope Family Church. The, the first week we talked about being saved by grace as who we are as a people, and then we talked about we're a people who worship. And uh, last week we talked about we're a people who pray. And this week we're going to talk about uh, uh, love and honor as a culture of who we are in Living Hope Family Church. Bear with me a second here as I bring this up. So, you know, love and honor is basically the attitude that we should have towards one another in the body of Christ. And as you go through the New Testament, and actually the Bible in general, you'll see it over and over as God is dealing with us on how we should be behaving to our brothers in Christ, how we should be behaving to people in the world, and how we should be treating our leaders, um, co-laborers, our co-workers. I mean, he's, he's talking about how we should treat these people. And if you go through and you read and you see how much is actually written, you begin to realize that how we treat other people is extremely important to God. And what can happen is, especially with people you're close to, I don't know if in your family you've ever noticed that the people that you're closest to are the ones you tend to be the harshest with or the ones you kind of, uh, uh, you kind of forget. I don't know, I guess it was strangers. You just kind of, you, you, you're more concerned about the end, of the, the end of what could happen with that relationship if you treat somebody harshly or, or badly. But with someone that you love, someone that you know you're close to, you tend to just take that relationship for granted. You tend to think that no matter what happens, they're still going to be there. So we tend to, to forget to treat the people that are closest to us with honor and respect that they deserve because we know that they're going to love us anyway. You know, we sometimes treat our, our wives uh, poorly because we know that they're still going to love us even if we don't act the way that we should. And it's, uh, it's the same way in the body of Christ because we, we tend to get close to each other. We become a family and we get that same attitude towards one another. So, you know, we need to be careful that we're not forgetting and treating them like, or not giving them the respect and honor they deserve just because we're close to them in the body of Christ as well as in our biological families. And then something else that we tend to do as Christians, which... Uh, you really see in, in young believers, but I think as, as all believers we do it, is, is we tend to hold other people to a higher standard than, than we would if, if they were, uh, than even we hold ourselves. We tend to hold other Christians to this to the standard that we even hold ourselves. So we think that, oh, they're a Christian. They can never mess up. They're a Christian, and if they do, oh my goodness, we think so bad of them. We think so little of them. And, and it's this attitude that we get in our head that... Uh, if someone makes a mistake, that we just, you know, want to just throw them out in the trash. Oh, there's nothing that can be done for them. They're, they're a Christian, but they're messing up. You know, there was a book written by Dwight L. Carlson that was called, Why Do Christians Shoot Their Wounded? You know, we tend to be more forgiving of, of uh, people that aren't Christians. If they're, if they're doing something that's unchristian-like, you know, we're, well, they're not Christians, so we write it off. But when someone's in the body and they do something, we just want to hold their feet to the fire. And we have this tendency to try to want to condemn them. Condemn them. But as we go through this, this series today, you're going to learn that, that that's not how we should be treating our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. If there is something like that, I mean, we should be working to restore them and encourage them not to throw them out with the bathwater. And then finally, I want you to know that how we interact with one another greatly impacts how effective that we can be for, for Christ in this world. I mean, people are watching us and how we act and how we behave. And when you tell somebody, oh, you've got to love them, and they go, but I just saw how you treated your coworker. Did you see what you did? You were cussing them up and down. They begin to look at what you're saying as having no worth. It has no value. They begin to see you as a hypocrite. How we treat other people greatly impacts how our ministry is perceived to other people around us. You know, and so it's so important in our behavior with, with other people, especially the body of Christ, and our, and our, uh, as a culture of Living Hope Family Church, we want to be a people who loves and encourages, and not a people who condemns and, and holds people's feet to the fire. Amen? So the first one we want to look at is uh, dealing with honor, and it's the, the prophet's reward. In Matthew 10, 40-41, he says, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Do you know that how you receive somebody impacts what you can receive from, some, from somebody? You know, it's kind of like, you know, this is kind of an out there shilly example, but if you invite a plumber into your home 
but you receive them into your home as an AC repairman, you know you're not going to get the kind of work that you expected. If you have an AC that's broken and you call a plumber, but you receive them as an AC repairman, you're probably still going to have a broke AC when you leave. But you might have spent some extra money that you didn't need to. Probably expensive too. But how you receive somebody is, is what you can receive from them. So what, is, what does he mean by that? Well, when you're dealing with people in the body of Christ, if you have a leader in the body of Christ and you don't receive them as the position that God has called them to be, you limit what you can receive from that person. I remember when I was growing up, uh, I was a teenager attending my, my friend's church, and his dad was, uh, was an awesome guy. He was a pastor. And I used to remember I would just revel in my cleverness because, you know, I misunderstood the verses that God's no respecter of persons. And, uh, and I used to call him just by his first. I never called him pastor, just always Brent. And uh, I used to, to, I thought I was really being clever because we were equal. Because we were really, you know, in the Lord we weren't. He was, he was my, my leader. He was who I should be looking up to. But because I never saw him as a pastor, I always tried to see him as my equal. I actually limited what I could receive from him. You know, and I often wonder, what did I miss out on in those times growing up? Would I be a different place today? Would I be more mature today if I would have, if I would have honored him as my pastor because he was and I received from him as a pastor instead of just receiving from him as an equal you know I kept his words on equal worth with mine when that just wasn't the case you know and it's one of those things when uh, Joseph once asked me do we call you pastor because we, we, we come out of the same church and and uh, you know, so do we call you pastor and I say you know the the best answer that I've always had for me when, when, I, when a pastor has been asked that is call me what I am to you because the truth is whether someone calls me pastor or not is not what makes me a pastor. What men call me doesn't make me a pastor. I'm a pastor because it's what God calls me to do. But the question is, if I'm not your pastor, what will you receive from me? Versus if I am your pastor. So, you know, for me, it's not going to change anything for me, but it will change things for you with how you receive people. In that same way with, with the leaders in the church as we begin to grow, and, and truthfully, we'll be, begin to raise people up in this church. And you're going to kind of see that reaping and sowing as, as you treat and honor people the way they should be honored with the, the calling of God has in their lives. People will do the same to you. And if you don't, it might come back in the same way as well and you'll be dealing with all that can entail. But the truth is, how you receive somebody entirely impacts what you can receive from them. Like he said, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you shall receive a prophet's reward. And a righteous man in the, in the name of a righteous man should receive a righteous man's reward. But if you receive a prophet in the name of a righteous man, he'll still only receive a righteous man's reward. Amen? Next thing is in 1 Timothy 5.17, the next verse we'll look at, it says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. If somebody has the call of God on their lives, and this just doesn't have to do, I know in, in a small church, and, and I felt weird as I was putting the verses down because it almost looks like I'm saying, look at me, look at me. But truthfully, I'm not the only leader in this church, and I won't be for, uh, the leaders will continue to be raised up as we have you know, the, the children's church leaders, their leader in this church, and the people that are in different ministries, you know, that. They, they're all leaders as well. And you're going to see as we begin to grow and we begin to branch out and reach more people, we're going to be raising more and more leaders up. And you're going to see these different ministries develop with leaders and the, the worship team and we'll have people running the sound. And, and those people are worthy of honor as well because they have a calling of God on their lives. You know, and it says the elders who rule well to be considered worthy of double honor. You know, and there's sometimes that we get this idea in our head that, oh, I would do things differently. So we get kind of kind of hurt with some people. And, and, you know, this is some of me experience from my experiences in my life as I'm going to talk, is I, I look at things and I'm like, oh, I would do it differently. But the problem that you run into is if you let that embitter your heart as you begin to, to put up a wall and become a hindrance to the man of God that you're serving or woman of God versus uh, someone... You know, just understanding that I may do things differently, but I'm going to be, I'm going to follow them obediently. I'm going to be submitted to the rule, and, and, and that'll be a blessing in your life. And like I said, this is going to be, as we begin to grow and we raise people up, uh, you, you will reap what you sow. So that's, you know, just make sure that we're treating our leaders with honor. Amen?
The next verse we're going to look at is 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15. And it says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruler, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. The next thing we see is that we need to begin to honor our co-laborers. Our co-laborers are those of us in the body of Christ as we begin to, to work for the kingdom of God, as we begin to try to reach the city of Morana. Those sitting in the chairs next to you are those who are your co-laborers who are working for Christ. And the word says that, that we appreciate those who diligently labor among us. And I want to tell you guys right now that everyone who's, who's coming here, that I appreciate you guys more than you can ever imagine. And the truth is, you'll notice with me, and, and if you guys, if anybody that's been coming regular and you've missed the service, you know I've called you. And I want to know, you know how you're doing. And I'm not calling because I want to say, hey, you weren't here. I want to smack you on the wrist. My concern is because I care about you. I want to know what's going on in your life. If, if you're not here, I wonder. You know, it's almost like the, uh, the, the, the mother when their kids don't call, they wonder, did you get hit by a bus? Did you get by, you know, what, what could have happened? And, and that's, I'm concerned with what's going on in your life because I care about you and I love you. And that's the same thing that we should have with one another. If we don't see somebody that we're expecting to see, do we just ignore them and let them go? Or do we call them and say, hey, you know, there's someone that's, that's, that cares about you. And is there anything we can do? Can we pray for you? Is there anything we can do for you? And that's the important thing is that we appreciate each other and notice when we're not here, notice when something's going on, and, and, and not just get along, not just come in and sit in a chair by each other on Sunday and never think about each other for the rest of the week. And then everything that we do for each other should be done out of love. And if you look in here, it says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. You know, admonishing somebody does not mean condemning somebody either. You know, we, we're so quick to, like we talked about earlier in the body of Christ, when someone messes up, we just kind of want to, oh, I can't believe they're doing it. I've seen churches fall apart because of this, because someone has, has fallen and instead of doing our job to restore someone, to actually pick them up and help them grow, we just want to kick them out and throw them to the wolves. And, and we see people just fall away because we never took the time to, to admonish them in a non-condemning manner. Admonish, to admonish somebody is to, to encourage somebody. It's to, uh, to show somebody their duty. It's to, uh, at the, one of the definitions I read is to scald somebody in a mild manner, you know, and it's with a good outcome. The whole point to admonish somebody is, is, is to not just condemn them and, and tear them down, but to actually build them up and restore them. And he says, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. You know, we should be able to go to anybody in the, bottom of, in the body of Christ and tell them what's going on in our lives without fear of, of judgment or condemnation, without fear of them thinking lesser of us, but to actually the, that they would stand with us and overcome our weaknesses and stand with us and overcome any of these things that are coming against temptations to help us continue to grow. Amen? Next, we should be seeing honor in our families. In Colossians three eighteen through 21, it says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. How many of you wives love this verse? Be subject to your husbands. I don't get mad. I didn't write it. This is in the Bible. But it says, be subject to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Well, first thing we need to understand is that being subject to your husband does not mean getting kicked by your husband or walked over by your husbands. Being subject to your husbands is is submitting to his leadership. It doesn't mean that he can tell you what to do and he can make you do things that are, that are, that are maybe not right or and he's not to be a boss and lord over you, but it does mean that you respect your husband as a leader and you submit to his leadership. Well, that also means that husbands, if you want your wives to, to, to submit to you as a leader, you need to be a leader. Amen? You need to be someone worth following. And then it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. You know, the Bible says that, that husbands should love their wives like Christ loved the church. And the truth is, Jesus died for his bride. Are you willing to do the same for your wife? Is everything that you do 
uh, in your relationship with her out of love for her. And it says, don't be embittered against her. It means don't be upset with her, be harsh with her, and don't basically be a jerk, <laughs> you know? You need to be a good husband and someone fitting to, uh, to lead. And then we have wives that say, well, I'll, I'll submit to him when he starts loving me like he ought to. And then we have husbands saying, well, I'll love her like she ought to if she'll just submit to me. You're both wrong. You worry about what, the, what you need to do. You know, the, the Bible says that, the women, that wives can win their husbands without saying a word if they'll just be submitted to us. There's a story, and I forget who the, this, this man was, but uh, this lady was trying to, to win her husband over. And he wasn't a Christian. And uh, she would go out to, to her prayer meetings. She would go out to church. And he hated that she was a Christian. And she was just the epitome of a wife being submitted to her husband. And he was not a good husband. And one day she went out to a, a prayer meeting one night or a church service. And he locked the door. And she couldn't get back in. And this is in England. It's freezing outside. And she slept outside on the doorstep. And he was just trying to prove a point to her because she was trying to live a godly life and, and he was just a jerk. And he gets up in the morning, he opens the door, and she gets up and she doesn't say a word. She walks in the house and says, what would you like for breakfast, dear? Now, if I ever saw a man acting like this, we would have some words because that's ridiculous. But this woman, no matter how her husband treated her, because of the word of God, respected her husband and submitted to him in a godly way. And you know what, he, I think he, he eventually ended up getting saved as he saw what his wife did. Without a word, she won her husband's heart. And uh, it's just amazing what you can do if you'll just uh, live according to the word of God. And then next we go on to look at children. 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 <laughs> Be obedient, that's you. Obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Amen. That's a tough one. Well-pleasing to the Lord. But you'll have blessing on your life if you're a child and you're obedient to your parents. But don't worry. He doesn't just stop at the children. He says, fathers, that's me. <laughs> now we're going to skip that part. <laughs> it says, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. You know, if all you're doing with your children is constantly lording over them and, and yelling at them and telling them they're not good enough and, and telling them what to do, and, and all you're doing is being overbearing with them, exasperating them to the point uh, where they don't even know what to do, that's, you're wrong. As a father, you're supposed to raise your children well. You're supposed to train them in the way that they should go. However, if you're not showing them love and telling them that they're, that they're worthy, that they're beautiful, that God loves them, that you love them, if you're not doing that thing, then, then you are acting ungodly as well. Amen? So let's go ahead and show honor in our, in our, family here, in our families here at Living Hope Family Church. So now is the big one. I want to start talking about how we interact with one another in the body of Christ. And that's uh, uh, so important in our effectiveness and our ministries. And it's so important in, a, in to live a, a good life. Did you know that if you're always in strife with somebody, the people you, you go to church with or work with, if you're in strife, your life is just miserable. I mean, it sucks knowing that uh, having to go to work in an environment like that. And truthfully, offense is so much more often given or taken than given. Most people aren't trying to offend you, but we get offended so easily and it begins to fester inside of us and it causes us problems as well. So the next, uh, the rest of this uh, sermon, we're going to be talking about uh, how we should be interacting with one another in the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26 says, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And in Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. In the world, and you know, you'll see it probably in your jobs, when, when someone gets promoted, people begin to get jealous. And why did he get promoted over me? Why did this happen? Why did he get something that I didn't get? And this is this idea in the world that we're always looking at ourselves and being upset when someone else has these things going on. But that's not the way it should be in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, when you see someone promoted, whether they're in the body or not, the, this is the attitude we should have in our heart. You should be excited for them. You should be happy that they're being blessed. And when somebody's in pain... 
you shouldn't be just like, oh, I'm just glad that's not me and walk your way, but you should actually feel their pain with them, especially in the body. It says, there be no division among you. The members may have some care for one another, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. With it. You know, this, all the members suffer with it. It was demonstrated so perfectly with Jesus. And we talked about this last week, but when he was at the tomb of Lazarus and he sees all the people around him, the Bible says Jesus wept. Now, Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He wasn't surprised. He wasn't amazed. He didn't have this bright idea all of a sudden. He knew what he was going to do, but he still wept. And why did he weep? Because his family, the members of, of his congregation around him were crying and they were upset. They didn't know what was going to happen. And because of their pain, Jesus wept. <clears throat> and the same thing, when one member is honored, all the members should rejoice with it. So when somebody gets promoted at work, if somebody has a baby, if somebody gets married, we should all be rejoicing with one another. There was uh, Jeremiah Bowser, uh, a Christian musician that that we know pretty well, and he's, he does mission trips all around the world, and he was in Uganda, and uh, he was part of this uh, uh, village as they were doing um, outreach and missions and stuff in that area, and as part of that, all the, the women of Uganda who were helping this, this team, that were working for this team, at the end, uh, towards the end of it, they gave each and every one of them this, this blessing, and they gave them uh, some money, and it really wasn't that much, but he remembers him being in his house, and uh, when they gave this money out to all these people, they blessed these people, they were just screaming and rejoicing. And the whole village was excited for these women that were working. And there wasn't one of them that was upset that they got it and they didn't. And, and there was just rejoicing and screaming. And he couldn't believe it that there was so much joy of something like, what it, it was like $7 a piece that each of these women got. And they were just ecstatic. Well, later that night, one of the ladies comes in, one of the younger girls comes in, and she wasn't there. She, she somehow got missed. So they made it right, and they gave her this money. And he said it was just like it all over again. The whole city was just up in, up in arms, just so excited and pouring out this excitement for this lady because she got to partake in it too. And you know what's funny is, is in the States, if that would have happened, the people that didn't get anything, the people that were around would be spending, why didn't I get some? Why did she get it? But not, it, these people just had this wonderful heart, this example that we should follow, that uh, we should be excited when people are blessed. And then it starts talking about there being no division in the body. That's something that's so important as we understand that we operate as a body for the kingdom of God. Now, when we have a problem in our body, in our personal body, like if you get a hangnail, what do you do? Do you cut your finger off and throw it out? Or do you begin to take steps to heal your finger? You know, if you stub your toe, you don't just throw your foot off. And on likewise, when you got a hangnail, your whole body feels that pain. That's not just your thumb. And, and the same with, our, the same with our, our, our feet. You stub your toe, your whole body feels the pain. And we operate together as one. And if we fail, if one of us fails, we actually fail together. And if we succeed, we succeed together. But the most important to realize is that if we begin to separate ourselves, we actually make the body weaker. If someone leaves the church because they're offended, or somebody gets kicked out of a church because they feel like that they have no more love, or, or they leave because they don't feel like they're loved anymore, or they've done something and everyone's just sunning them, the body is actually weaker because that person's gifts and talents that God would have used to reach the city are no longer part of that body. Oh, man. Next is we love one another. So the verse we're going to look at is John 13, 34 through 35. And it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And in John 15, 12 through 13, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for friends. Love is such an overused word in our society. You see, I love pizza. I love burritos. I love my car. You know, and this, this kind of love, somehow we've associated love with, with uh, really, really like in our society. 
But the love that's talked about in these scriptures, he says that you love one another even as I have loved you. The Greek word is, is agape. And it's this, it's this, uh, it's the same love that God has for us. It's a sacrificing love. It's a, it's a, it's, this, it's literally the same love that God gives to us is what he's talking about. So when he says, you know, you should love your brothers, it's not just this, this uh, easygoing, yeah, I love you, man, stuff, but it's to love them the same way that God loves us. <clears throat> and the truth is, that kind of love as we show one another, people will notice it. It says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When I was in the Army, I went to basic training in uh, Fort Leonardwood, and one of the things they told us is that when you, especially if you get deployed somewhere, that people will know you're soldiers, regardless if you're in uniform or not. Because a soldier walks differently. They teach you to, when you're in the military, they teach you to march. You always hold your fingers like this. You have your, your thumb on your, your index finger. And when you walk, you walk like this. And I still find myself to this day when I walk, I hold my hands like this. And your hair is cut a certain way. And you walk a certain way. You typically, when you're in the military, you walk taller. Because if you don't walk tall and straight, you, know, you, get, you get your butt chewed. So you have a different look when you're in the military. And they said, when you're out on the economies in these different places know that people will still know that you're a soldier and the reason they were pointing that out was because a lot of times that was a negative thing not a positive thing because they would go after you if you were a soldier they would want to use you to get to this country or but the same thing goes for us as Christians it says by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another people should be able to see us and know that there's something different about us people should be able to look at us and see that how we treat our coworkers how we treat our friends how we treat our spouses they should see something different than they see in the world <clears throat> and the truth is that that you do look different as a christian or at least you should there's a uh, uh, a bumper sticker I saw, and you see it on, on church signs as well. It says that if if it were to be if it were to become illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And that's you know that's something to think about. It, do I look like? Do I act and behave like a Christian enough that people actually notice? So why do we why do we need to treat people in this way? Why do we treat people with value and with respect? Why why do we have to treat people like that? And in Colossians 3.12, 16, it says, so, the, so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has complained against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all, these things, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms, pardon me, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has complaining against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. The reason why we forgive other people, the reason why that we treat them this way is because of who Christ was. And he lives inside of you. Christ forgave, therefore we should forgive. You know, it, it's kind of amazing to see to people operate in a manner, it's like the, the story of the, uh, of the slave who had a huge debt and he goes to the king, and the king forgives the, the, the slave his debt. And as soon as he gets home, he goes to one of his other friends, one of the other slaves, and says, you owe me a very small amount of money, and you need to pay me now, or I'm throwing you in prison. And when the king heard of this, he says, I just forgave you so much, and yet you're going to hold your fellow slave to the fire because of a small debt? Don't you remember what I did for you? And in the same way, we should, we should do the same thing with God. God gave us so much and forgave us so much. That's how we should be treating other people as well. <clears throat> Next, we should be treating people this way because of who we are. It says in Colossians 3, 8 through 10, it says, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. 
It says, put aside your old self and put on your new self. You've been made brand new in Christ. That old person that says, you know, the one that had anger and wrath and malice, and slander and abusive speech in their mouth, that person is gone. When you accept Christ into your life, that heart of stone that you used to have is removed and a new one is put in. You're made perfect and holy in him. And that newness of life should be directing every single step that you take. And I think it's funny, the, or not funny, but it's interesting as he writes... First, he says, put it all aside. First, put anger. And then it ramps up a notch, which is wrath. And wrath is a very intense anger. And then it says malice. And after you have wrath, wrath leads to malice. And malice is an anger with an intent to harm. And it just kind of ramps up as you go. But he says, let's put that all aside. When, and it says, do not lie to one another since you will lay aside the old self with its evil practices. Lying will destroy families. Lying will destroy relationships. Lying destroys that trust which we need with one, to have with one another to have any kind of relationship. And the truth is, Satan is the father of lies. So I just thank God that we've been given a brand new self, that we've been a brand new person that's not bound to those old things. It's not bound to that uh, a way of living. And that we can walk in newness of life and newness of Him and begin to treat people in a respectful and honoring way. The next one we want to look at is because of who they are. In Titus 3, 1 through 7, it says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy. I want to point out it says, for we were also once were we we also once were foolish, but we're not anymore. If you are in Christ, this is who you used to be, not who you are anymore. It says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you ever notice that we tend to judge ourselves by our best moments, but we tend to judge others by their worst. You ever wonder why we do that? Why, when we're talking about ourselves, we go, well, I may have done something bad once, but basically this is who I am. This is, you know, look at my good points and evaluate me on that. But when you look at other people, you kind of, you look at where they failed and that's kind of how you size them up to be. But the great thing about being in Christ, the, the great thing about being born again is that when you look at somebody else you should see Christ in them and not who they are you know it says that he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy we should be showing that same mercy to our brothers and sisters in Christ not according to their deeds not according to what they did but according to what Christ has accomplished in them Paul said that uh, Paul says that I, I desire to know no one according to the flesh, but only according to Christ in them. And that's how we should know each other as well. We see what Christ has done. We need to understand that that when someone slips up or they fails, that that's not who they are. That they've been made new. That that's not. They may have made a mistake, but as long as they've come to repentance and they're working or they're they've based God again, and they're looking towards God again, that that's how we should see them as, as a man or woman of Christ. And then we also remember that, need to remember that we weren't always models of, of, uh, of spiritual and moral excellence. You know, there was a time, especially as we begin to, to mature and grow into the stature of, of who Christ is in our lives, as, as that new spirit that has been put inside of us begins to shine through it, begins to, to actually walk itself out in our lives. We need to remember that, you know, I probably wasn't always the best person. I used to get angry. I know, I used to get angry. I used to get offended. I used to do all kinds of stupid stuff. And if I were to look at somebody... And, and judge them and condemn them for that kind of stuff, 
I mean, what kind of person does that make me when I, when I have been redeemed from the very things that that person is struggling with? I've been redeemed from, from the anger and the bitterness, and I've been made a new person. Why would I be upset with somebody else that's struggling with those same things that I did? Why wouldn't I? want to help restore them to the same thing that I have, help to help them grow in their faith and grow in that area in their life. And the thing that we need to understand so importantly is that a person's value has nothing to do with what they do. A person is not valuable because they fed the homeless, because they went on mission trips. A person is not valuable because they're a leader in the church or because they're a teacher or a pastor or that they help little old ladies cross the street or they gave money to their friend. A person is not unvaluable because they do drugs or they smoke. They're not unvaluable because they've made poor decisions in their lives. The truth is our value is determined by what somebody was willing to pay for us. And Christ paid everything for you. He gave his only life. That means that my value, Christ's life, is the same as your value, which was Christ's life, no matter what's going on. And if we can keep that in mind as we deal with people, as they struggle through things, it doesn't make it any different from them. They're working through it, but it makes it different for you. It helps you deal with these different things. It helps you deal with someone that, that may have hurt you. Someone might hurt you. Someone in the church will probably hurt you. Somebody in the church has probably hurt most of you at some point in your life. But... What changes for you is how you see them. If you begin to understand that, that Christ loved them and made them new and he forgave them and you can do the same, it actually impacts your spiritual well-being and not theirs. Amen? So next verse we'll look at is Galatians 6, 1 through 2. It says, Brethren, if, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you, will t you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. And like I was just talking about, we're called to restore our brothers and sisters in Christ as they stumble. You know, and the Bible says, uh, a, wise, uh, a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up seven times. That's what being righteous is. It's not about falling. It's about, did you get back up? And it says here that you who are spiritual, those who are saved, those who are mature in the Lord, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You don't kick them when they're down. You don't tell them how bad they're doing. You don't tell them how terrible they're doing and they need to straighten it out. But you, with love, you begin to encourage them to, to lead the lives that they should be living, to walk in their calling and in their newness of life. We begin to encourage them in that. And then something that's really important, it says, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. I was reading about a, uh, a man, a young man in a, in a was attending a church, and he wanted to start a ministry to help men who are addicted to pornography. And he just kind of started doing it on his own. He didn't talk to his pastor, and, and he began to counsel men uh, off to the side. And one, we need to be important, and this is a total side note, but if you are operating in the church, you need to be operating in the, the authority structure set up by God, doing things through, your, through the pastor and make sure this stuff is set up in a, in a godly manner. So he began to start this ministry on his own, and he began to counsel this man. And, and he had never been addicted to pornography. He would actually never dealt with it at all. So he didn't really understand, as these men began to talk to him, uh, the hold that this pornography had on them. He didn't understand, so he said, you know what, I'm just going to check it out real quick and see why this is going on. And in doing so, he ended up becoming entangled just as deeply as the men he was trying to help. And it says, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. You know, when we say we meet somebody where they are, it doesn't mean to join in on what they're doing. But it, it does mean that you need to be careful that as, you're, as someone is struggling, if you're not in a position that you can minister to this person and not be wrapped up in it, you need to be real careful and maybe uh, pass that on to someone who is. But be very careful that you don't get wrapped up in the same thing as somebody else when you're trying to do a good thing. You know, we realize that this man wasn't, this man that was doing this, he, he, he wasn't going out there to, to, uh, to get involved in this. He, he, had a heart, he had a heart to help these men, but he got wrapped up in it. And then it says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. <clears throat> you 
And then the next verses we'll look at is Luke 17, 3 through 4. It says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. And then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I, did not, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. But up here it says seven times, and down here he says, that's not what I said. <laughs> See, the thing is that in Jewish culture, they were called three times. If somebody sinned against you and asked for forgiveness, you were required by law to, to forgive them three times. And then after that, you didn't have to forgive them anymore. So, but then Jesus says, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times a day saying, I repent, forgive him. So now Jesus is saying, the law is not what it's about. Jesus is saying, you know what? Don't just do it three times, but do it seven times. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they're just not quite getting it. So then down here in 8, 21 through 22 in Matthew, Peter says, well, I understand the Jewish law, and I know what Jesus said, so I'm going to show Jesus that I've been paying attention and show Jesus that... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, paying, I'm doing the right thing and I'm listening to him. And he says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times because he was paying attention seven times. And Jesus said, wait a minute. You heard what I said, but you didn't hear what I mean. He just said, not seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And then we look at that. So now we have 40, 49 times or 490 times is how we're supposed to forgive. Guess what? It doesn't mean 490 either. You keep on forgiving them as long as they keep coming to you. He's just trying to say, listen, guys, don't stop forgiving people. If they come up to you and repent and their, their eyes are back on God, forgive them every single time. Amen? So just remember that in the body, even if somebody, because that's the hard part. Have you ever had somebody do something over and over to you and they, they do it once and they say, I'm sorry, and you forgive them? And then they do the same thing over again and you're like, all right, I understand you're having trouble and you forgive them. After the third or fourth time, you're like, do you even mean it when you ask me? You begin to have this, this hard attitude that, that they don't mean what they're saying and that they, they're just taking advantage of you and they're just walking all over you. But the truth is that if they keep coming to us forgiveness, we should forgive them. But I'll point out, this is what we're dealing with is, is you know, when it says to restore people, we're talking about people that have a hard attitude to be restored. You know, if they're if they're coming to you and, and doing the same thing over and over and they have no intent to change, you know, that's, that's a tough situation to be in. And I, I'd say, you know, the, the Bible says forgive your enemies and pray for your enemies. Pray for stuff that's going on because that makes a change in you. And if your brother is, is in the church and he's doing stuff and, and he has a hard attitude to repent and we begin to restore them, we would do that if they have an attitude to repent. But if they're not willing to repent, if they're not willing to, to do those things, we don't have an obligation to, to keep pouring our time into somebody who's not wanting to be restored. You know, as the Bible says, don't cast your, your, your pearls before swine. And that's just the same situation there. But anytime someone is, has an attitude that, that wants to change, they're wanting to grow, they want to continue walking the right way, we just continue forgiving them forever. Amen? And then in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, it says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. The interesting thing about this one is, I think most of us read this and goes, if you, remember, if you have something against your brother, go deal with it. That's our first instinct is um, that they've done something and we, we need to deal with it. Because you have this, this uh, when somebody has offended you or they've done something to you, you begin to kind of fester on it. And they may not even know what happened, but it begins to fester in your heart. and It begins to, to cause bitterness and resentment. And if that's the case, you need to go in and talk to the brother that you're having a problem with and, and straighten it out. And most of the time you're going to find out there's a misunderstanding and, and uh, you'll go ahead and forgive them right then and everything's fine. But this one says, and remember that, if you remember that your brother has something against you, do you know that, that even if you didn't do something wrong, even if you didn't do something to, to offend somebody, but you understand that they are offended at you, that is our responsibility to repair that relationship, to go to them. And obviously, we're not presenting an offering at an altar in the sense that Jesus was talking about, but 
uh, really at any time, if you realize one of your brothers has something against you, we need to go and work that out because we're a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we, we should be loving one another and operating as a family. Amen? I'll try to get going here. And it says, build each other up. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one up one another, just as you also are doing. And in Galatians 6.9-10, it says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5 is uh, Paul talking about Christ's return. He said he's coming back like a thief in the night. And we don't know the hour of the day when Christ is coming back. And because of this, Paul was encouraging us to be ready. He says, you know what? Go ahead and keep building each other up. When someone stumbles, encourage them to be walking right with God. Help them to be restored. Because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. And we need to be ready for that. And then in Galatians 6, 9 through 10, I always find it amazing as these apostles are writing and it's 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 inspired by god but just the insight of what's actually going on you know when i think if i were to write this stuff it'd probably be all the good stuff you leave out the bad part so it looks really good but he says let us not do heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary grow weary relationships can make you weary sometimes they're tough but peter says uh, or Paul says, don't, uh, don't grow weary. Don't give up. And he wouldn't tell us that if there wasn't the opportunity for these relationships to so Relationships are tough. Sometimes it's hard to work with people that you might have differences with. And there's these different things, these, these different dynamics and interact with people. But he says, don't lose heart. Keep doing good. And then it says, so then, while we have the opportunity, before Jesus comes back, while we have the opportunity to do good, let's do good to all people but especially to those who are the household of the faith, especially to those in the body of Christ. The next verse I want to look at is 1 Peter 4, 8-9. It says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And be hospitable to one another without complaint. You know, Peter's preaching the same thing in this one. You know, to just keep loving one another and, and keep diligent about it. Don't grow weary. And, you know, and once again, Peter wouldn't say keep fervent if it wasn't a possibility to stop. But the one thing I want to point out in this is it says, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, when you look at this, at least when I read it the first time, like love covers a multitude of sins, I thought Jesus already paid for all of our sins. And that's true. Jesus died to forgive all your sins. So when you're loving somebody, you're not forgiving their sins. When it says you're covering a multitude of sins, your love is not making sure that someone's forgiven. Jesus already did that. That's completely paid for in Jesus. All sins, past, present, and future, have completely been removed as far as the east is to the west. Sin is not an issue here. So if that's the case, what does it mean by love covers a multitude of sins? Well, the truth is, that even though they're forgiving, sins have consequences. You know, even though that there is no, no uh, uh, condemnation for sin, there's no, there's no uh, you're not going to hell because you've sinned, the truth is that sin in your life does have consequences. So to give you a, a harsh example would be like a husband that is, uh, cheats on his wife. He's in, he's, uh, goes behind her back and is, is unfaithful. And because of the blood of Christ, that sin is, he's forgiven for that sin if he repents and asks for forgiveness. But like I said, sin has consequences. And how many know that relationship's never going to be the same after that? No matter how forgiven that man is, that relationship has been damaged and, and, and without love and forgiveness will never be able to be restored. And that's where this comes in, because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, I've seen amazing stories of of relationships completely healed and restored because of Christ, and that love being shown. If a wife can still love her husband and forgive them, then that relationship still has a chance. That's how the love covers a multitude of sins. That's where the covering comes from. You're not forgiving them. 
as far as them being saved and their forgiveness being wiped out according to God. But what it does do is it makes a difference in how you perceive people and how you work and interact with people. And, uh, you know, I've just seen amazing, amazing stories. There's a, uh, one of the, I think it was uh, Pastor Mike, my pastor that the church were being sent out from, I think he had a, a young, or I guess not young anymore, she was, uh, they got a divorce from her husband when she was younger. He, the husband was fooling around and left her, and she never remarried. And she kept praying for years that that marriage would be restored because she kept praying that whatever God has built up, let no man tear down. And she prayed and prayed and prayed and was standing in faith with God. And, and uh, she ended up remarrying this guy. She remarries her husband, and, and that relationship is completely restored. But it's because of her love that those sins could have been covered. Did you know that if she didn't love and forgive them, that, that could have never happened, that that, that uh, relationship that God had built could never have been restored? Amen? In the Second Corinthians, this is the last verse. We'll come uh, coming to an end right now. It says Second Corinthians five sixteen. It says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know Him in this way no longer. We need to understand that everybody that we see in the body of Christ. We, could, we should recognize them and value them and hold their worth the same as Christ. It says we recognize no one according to the flesh. We don't recognize him according to what they do, what they've said, their awesome accomplishments or their awesome failures. That's not how we recognize these people. But we recognize them according to Christ in them. You know, and the truth is that in this world, that people are most much more likely to risk their life for a stranger. You know, if you saw somebody crossing the street and they're about to get hit by a car, if you didn't know them, you're statistically much more likely to run and push them out of the way of the car than if you knew who they were and you knew what they've done. If you valued them according to their deeds and not according to who they are as a child of God. So when we look at people, let's resolve to not look at people by their actions. Let's not look at our brothers and sisters in Christ by what they've done, but let's look at, look at them by how Christ, what Christ has done in them. They've been made new. They are perfect. They are holy. They are a child of God. They are an heir of the hope of his riches. They are an heir of everything that God, the same things that we have inside of us, they have inside of them. So let's resolve to see people uh, as, as in that way, to see people as what Christ has made them. And then if we just get ourselves out of the way and we follow Jesus' commandment to love one another, it'll just happen naturally. Just get out of your way, get out of the way and let Christ live through you and we'll begin to, to operate and love people in a way that Christ loves them as well. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads.